Welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a certified personal trainer, high altitude mountaineer, and ultra runner. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like a mountaineer so you can boost your chances of reaching the summit. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, mountain climbing will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. How do the world's greatest endurance athletes eat? Matt Fitzgerald wanted to know. So he asked distance runners, triathletes, and rowers from every continent to share their food diaries. The results were shockingly consistent. Elite endurance athletes share a few core nutrition practices that are supported by science. But do you know what's sad? Almost none of these are followed by recreational athletes. Matt Fitzgerald wanted to change that, and his book, The Endurance Diet, is recommended reading for mountaineers, trekkers, trail runners, and athletes like you. Today, I'll share some key insights from this excellent book. Ready? Let's do this. Today's episode is brought to you by my course, Mountain Fit, Self-Coaching for Mountain Athletes. So congratulations, you've signed up for a mountaineering trip or a long distance trek. Now, how the French toast do you get in shape for it? You could hire a coach to help you, but the ones who actually understand our sport are so damn expensive. And even if you get a good one, no coach is ever going to understand your lifestyle, your schedule, and your body the way that you do. The truth is you will always be your own best coach. You just need to know what to do and when to do it. That's why I created Mountain Fit. This online masterclass is the roadmap you've been looking for to help you reach your fitness goals. In this course, I walk you step-by-step through everything you need to transform yourself into a diesel-powered hiking machine, even if you're starting from absolute zero. By the end, you'll know how to assess your fitness level, write a training plan that gets results, and choose the best exercises for your goals. And if you need a starting point, I've included 40 weeks, that's 40 weeks of training plans you can adapt for your own season. So stop wasting thousands of dollars on Tracy, the big box gym trainer who has never hiked a day in her life. Learn how to train yourself with Mountain Fit. To check it out, just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you in there. Hey friends, how you doing? I am awesome. I just got back from my vacation. I was up in Washington to visit my friend Laurence and run the volcanic 50K with her. That's the 50K that goes around Mount St. Helens. And man, was it, it was just so awesome. Like what an amazing race. We had so much fun. It was just full of like boulder fields. And there were some parts where you had to arm repel and just climb and descend all this rocky stuff. And I was just in heaven because I really liked that shit for some reason. And so does Laurent. So we just both had a blast, I think. One thing that was really fascinating to me about this race is it's so remote. It's like way, way out there in the national park where there are no roads. And so in order to set up the aid stations, they had to get a ton of volunteers to carry water and food and carry it quite some distance in some cases to get to the aid stations so that we could actually stop and refuel during the race. And so thank you so much to Go Beyond Racing, all the volunteers that made it happen. Like what a cool race. I'm just still so excited about it and can't wait for the next one. I think the next one we were talking about doing might be around Mount Hood. So (laughs) same kind of deal, different mountain. 
But today I wanted to do something a little different and kind of have a book club type discussion. I was reading a really good book while I was up in Washington. And as you might have guessed from the episode title, it's called The Endurance Diet. It's by Matt Fitzgerald, who is not only a triathlon coach, a sports nutritionist, he's also a very prolific author, sports journalist, writes about endurance sports quite a bit. So he has many books. This is the first one I've read by him. And I gotta say, I absolutely love this and will be recommending this to my clients. The advice he shares, it's pretty simple. It's pretty common sense. It's very non-judgmental and I felt like it resonated so hard with me as a, both as a coach and then as an athlete who's always just trying to simplify things and doesn't have like endless time to prepare a lot of meals and is always just trying to make diet as simple and inclusive as possible. I, I just loved every single one of his key core habits that he shared. So kind of Matt Fitzgerald's methodology in creating this book is he really wanted to understand what the world's greatest endurance athletes, so in this case, they're cyclists, they're runners, they're triathletes, they're on the world level, the Olympic level in many cases, But this also applies, we're endurance athletes also, us mountaineers, trekkers, trail runners, for sure. This also applies to us. So what he did to really understand what the elite athletes of the world were eating was he just went around and asked them for food diaries and he collected them from athletes on every continent and then went through them and was really surprised by the commonalities between how these elite athletes were eating. He actually pulled out five core practices that I'm going to share with you in just a minute that they pretty much all followed. And the other thing he thought was really interesting was that this is very different from the way recreational athletes eat. This way of eating is really healthy, it's effective, and for whatever reason, recreational athletes, we get blinded by all the, I think, the shiny object syndrome. We're always reading in magazines, and we're kind of susceptible to people on social media who have these kind of magic (laughs) diet practices that are fancy and interesting and new and counterintuitive, and really, a lot of times, they're kind of overcomplicating it, is the conclusion that Matt Fitzgerald came to, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those in just a minute. But yeah, let's dive into the five core habits he identified among all these elite athletes that have apparently been used and pretty stable at the world and Olympic championship level for a couple of decades. So there's no perfect endurance diet, but coaches are always seeing what works. They're always refining. And these five things they think are pretty close to the perfect diet. So what are the five habits? Number one habit of elite endurance athletes, they eat everything. They don't have restrictive diets. They don't eliminate certain food groups. They eat a lot of high quality foods from all the groups. That includes fruits, vegetables, whole grains, meat includes eggs, um, nuts, seeds, and oils. You can count that as one group, dairy, and they also eat some low quality foods. It's not a core part of their diet, but once in a while they eat some processed food. They eat some fried food. They might have some sweets. So really nothing is strictly forbidden or off limits in their diet. So why might this be a good way to eat if you're an endurance athlete? Well, research shows that people with varied diets who eat frequently from all food groups, they tend to be the healthiest. And that Fitzgerald makes a very compelling case that each of these food groups just plays a really important role in our health as an endurance athlete. So for example, a lot of endurance athletes, particularly recreational athletes, they want to 
eliminate something like meat. However, meat has, it's one of the best sources of protein. It's so necessary for our muscle repair. And what do you think about life as an endurance athlete? Like pretty much our whole life is repairing ourselves. We go out, we do a hard workout, we kind of tear up our muscles. And then all the work really is to just sit and rest and eat well and just let those muscles repair themselves. So protein, eating meat, eating eggs, high quality meats can be a really important part of that. That's also true for dairy. Dairy is another one a lot of people kind of want to cut out and not to say that cutting it out is bad or should never be done. And there are some people that are lactose intolerant who maybe do better without dairy. We'll talk about that in just a minute. However, if you can eat dairy, it's full of protein once again, good for muscle repair. It also has probiotics, which are good for gut health, which help to improve immune function. And some kinds of dairy like yogurt, you'll find those. So eating from the multiple groups seems to have a synergistic effect on the health of athletes. The ones who eat all the groups just tend to perform better. And that's why you see most elite athletes eating from all of those groups and avoiding restrictive diets. And I'll say a little bit more about the low quality food and eating that in moderate amounts. Generally, that's done by almost all elite athletes. And Matt Fitzgerald was thinking about this. He was trying to kind of suss out why this was important. And really, the kind of the conclusion he came to was that diet should be enjoyable. And the, his quote that I really hit home for me, he said, I have never encountered an athlete who was unhappy with their diet, but happy with their training and racing. And I think that that's so true and so important to keep in mind. Diet should be enjoyable. And the reason humans created like low quality foods, peppermint patties and Snickers and stuff is because they really are enjoyable to eat. So we don't never want to completely deny ourselves things that make us feel good and then make us excited about eating. We just want to make sure they're not like the core of our diet. So habit number two of these elite endurance athletes was to eat high quality. This probably doesn't come as a big surprise to any of you. Generally, their diets emphasized fresh, high quality foods from all six food groups. And one thing I thought was interesting was that a lot of them made room for some processed food as well, keeping in mind that processed foods come in all levels of healthiness. Some are higher quality than others. So for example, a whole grain cereal, a whole grain bread, an energy bar, a protein powder, it's a different level of nutrition and nutrient density than, say, eating a peppermint patty, which you're also allowed to do. But as much as possible, these athletes really focused on just simple meals from fresh foods whenever possible. And they also focused on high quality beverages, which I thought was interesting. And according to science, things that are high quality beverages are, you know, unsweetened fruit juice. That's not surprising. Milk. But also things like coffee. Coffee, as long as it's it's good quality coffee, is considered a high quality beverage. And I thought this one was super fascinating. Alcohol. First alcoholic. Drink of the day, generally considered a high-quality beverage because of its effect on heart health in a lot of studies. Certainly after you have more than one a day, as an athlete, that's probably, especially if you're in hard training, can I have a more detrimental effect on your performance? But there are stories in this book I thought were interesting about how cyclists on the Tour de France, like if they had like a day that was great and they wanted to celebrate, they'd take out the wine and drink, or if they had like a hard stage the next day, and nervous, they would take out the wine and drink just like a glass and not the whole bottle by themselves, share it among the team. But I thought that that was really kind of cool and funny. But 
yeah, whatever you're eating, just making sure it's high quality, fresh whenever possible. The third habit, I really like this one, is to eat carb-centered. And this chapter was my favorite because for this one, he, uh, Matt Fitzgerald was drawing on some of his experiences in Kenya, which you probably know has the world's best distance runners for the marathon distance. 17 of the best 20 marathon times ever run in history. They're Kenyans. And then for women, it's 15 out of the top 20. So these Kenyans, they're onto something as far as endurance. And really, there's been a lot of interest in why that they are naturally such good runners. And there's probably like a number of reasons for that. But one of the things that gets pointed out a lot is their diet. They eat a very high carbohydrate diet. Kenyan runners, at least, get 76% of their daily calories from carbs versus 48% for American runners. And most of these calories are pretty high quality. They're generally eating whole grains and starchy veggies like potatoes and cabbage. They eat things like maize, which is basically corn. And then <laughs> the thing I thought was kind of funny that is also a staple is chai tea with milk and sugar. So technically, that's a little bit of a sweet, but you know, these are runners. They're probably run, they're probably able to handle a bit of some sweet in their diet. As we said, nothing's forbidden. So Matt Fitzgerald was remembering going to a training camp, like a high altitude training camp in Kenya, where you can, people from all over the world come to learn from the coaches and you actually eat the Kenyan diet while you're there. And he talked about how a lot of people are a little bit nervous about it because it is so heavy in carbs. And in especially the United States, I don't know if it's the same in Europe, other Western countries, Australia. We have a lot of demonizing of carbs and a lot of athletes are a little bit afraid of them and afraid that they'll make us gain weights or mess with our blood sugar. And he said it's actually the opposite is true. Matt Fitzgerald, while he was there, he lost two and a half pounds. He was the lightest he had been since high school and actually ran faster. So that was surprising to him. But, you know, he's like given the science around carb-centered diets and endurance performance, it makes a lot of sense. And the science, basically, overwhelmingly, when you put a high-carb diet up against a low-carb diet, feed it to athletes, and then test them, overwhelmingly, the high-carb diets outperform the low-carb diets. So I'm not saying that you should never eat keto or never eat low-carb, but I think this book just makes an excellent case laying out the science if you want to reach a certain level with your endurance performance, eventually most people are going to switch to a carb-centered diet. And actually, in order, there's kind of a threshold. Depending on the sport, it changes a bit. But if you don't eat a certain amount of carbs, grams of carb per body weight, one study found, then that actually starts to impact performance. So definitely making sure you're getting enough carbs in your diet from healthy sources, whole grains, fruits are two of the best. So let's move on to habit number four, eat enough. This chapter actually made me really sad. <laughs> I really felt upset by some of the stories about particularly in the past running coaches back in the 80s. We didn't have the information we have about sports nutrition now. And a lot of times they would really control and restrict the diets of their runners and particularly their female runners. There's such an emphasis on light body weight in endurance sports that you've probably noticed that this is true in mountaineering. Everyone wants to be lean. Everyone wants to be small. And this tends to lead to athletes being a bit underfueled, especially when they're training at a really high level. And we know now that athletes need a lot of fuel but there's still a lot of 
emphasis on restricting and just getting lean, even when sometimes it's not strictly necessary and losing a little bit of weight is not going to help performance. So what are the consequences of being underfueled? Performance is one. You can't really be at your best without fuel. That's a no-brainer. People who are underfueled, they tend to have more injuries. I shared a story about Rochelle Shoeless a couple of episodes ago. She was a college runner who was chronically underweight, underfueled, and she was performing the national level, like coming in the top five, like doing really well, but then would get injured and not be able to train and not be able to repeat that. And she actually did come back and repeat it after she had gained 20 pounds and her times were almost the same. And the extra 20 pounds not only didn't really impact her time, but she said it also just made her such a happier and healthier runner. And she wasn't constantly being injured and constantly feeling deprived. So really important. And then the deprivation, eating less when you want more is psychologically taxing and under eaters are at risk for rebounding and then binging on food. And then eventually this disordered eating can become a habit, can lead to eating disorders. And finally, one thing that's important to keep in mind is there are really no health benefits for under eating in people who already do regular exercise, regular cardio. One more thing that can happen, if you underfueled, you are at risk for weight gain. If the body senses danger, it actually slows down your metabolism to preserve that precious fat. It like holds onto it for dear life. So a lot of times people who underfuel will gain a couple of pounds and not be able to lose them. And just the body will hold on for dear life because it thinks it's in danger because it's chronically underfueled. So what's the answer to all this? How should we be eating? And Matt Fitzgerald, like myself, not a big fan of diet trackers and apps, really encourages you to use your body's signals. So this means following intuitive eating practices. We talked about this a little bit on the podcast a few episodes ago. I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically learning to tune in to your own hunger and fullness using tools like the hunger scale. This also involves embodiment. So it's just moment-to-moment awareness of how your body's feeling, what it needs, what it doesn't need. Some mindfulness practices, breath work, meditation really help you to develop that, which is important to many parts of being an athlete, but definitely with diet and noticing hunger signals can be really helpful. And Matt Fitzgerald does point out that the opposite is also true. A lot of times recreational athletes especially struggle with weight gain due to mindless eating. So You can use this emotional eating to just slowly bring everything back into balance. If you do want to lose weight, he talks a little bit about that too in the book, about, you know, changing your diet, maybe making it a bit more protein-based. But he really, really recommends, and so do I as a coach, separating your weight loss phase from your training phase. It's really important that you're not trying to fuel yourself for peak performance while you're also like trying to shed a few pounds, get down to racing weight. Usually the way it works is, If we have weight to lose, it's best to do it early in the season before you really start ramping up your training for the season and just building up towards your goal event. So habit number five, Matt Fitzgerald found that the elite athletes, they eat individually. So... (laughs) Within these four rules, there's a lot of room for just individual preferences. And some of the things that they 
kept in mind when designing their diets for allergies and intolerances. These are actually less common than people think they are. So he said it's a good idea rather than just eliminating food groups on your own. Definitely check in with a doctor, get some allergy testing if you feel like you might have a gluten intolerance, lactose intolerance, that's, that's dairy. And I would agree with that advice as well. I um, mean, he talked about gut health. Many athletes have certain foods that they just really can't tolerate very well. So they avoid them either altogether or before big workouts, before big trips, big races. Some people have cravings and these can change over time. If it's a kind of a low quality, it's often a low quality food that you're craving. So finding out how you can put that in your diet, maybe it's a reward for your long workout every week or maybe a reward after your goal trip, but finding a way to work those into your diet so that they don't feel so restricted. Definitely there are people who have different time and budget abilities as far as being able to meal prep and buy like really high quality food from Whole Foods. Even if you can't do that, you still can probably create a diet that's that's good quality and works for you. A lot of people have morals and values. For example, you might not like to drink coffee that's not sustainably sourced or fair trade. And one of the things he emphasized and uh, the athletes that he interviewed emphasized is that your diet may change over time and that's perfectly fine. He interviewed one Canadian athlete who married a Norwegian athlete and now they eat fish four times a week, which was something that he had never, ever eaten, but now really enjoys, fits into the diet just fine. So really just taking this diet and making it yours. These habits don't have to be restrictive. In fact, there's a lot of room within these habits to have a diet that's all your own and also not comparing your diet or judging your diet against other people is really important as well. There's lots and lots of ways to eat healthy there's no one magic formula. So friends, I hope this was super helpful and I hope you'll run out and get the book. I just enjoyed it so much. It's one of those ones I'll probably keep around, send to clients, reread over and over again. I just think it's just so common sense and so excellent. I'll also be checking out some other books by Matt Fitzgerald. He has a whole bunch if you like this one and want more. So yeah, until next week, if you have any questions about the pod, definitely hit me up on Instagram, handle at misadventurepants. And you can also find me in my Facebook group, Mountaineers and Backpackers in Training. And yes, I will see you here next week. Until then, have fun out there. Hey friend, if you're enjoying the pod, there are two simple and free ways you can show your support. First of all, please share this with a friend who might find it helpful. And second, please leave a review on iTunes. Your support means the world to me. Thanks so much for tuning in.